TCL.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. It's a Friday night, so I'm feeling all right. Hello, Score North faithful, 1500 AM faithful as well. This is the Scoop Podcast, episode 257 on this Friday night, the 27th of September. The Scoop Podcast is brought to you by Hope Fieldhouse, hopefieldhouse.org, all about helping athletes with disabilities. I'll tell you more about Hope Fieldhouse as the podcast rolls on. Plenty to get to over the next hour. We inhabit the 6 o'clock hour every Friday night right here on Score North, or at least most Friday nights. Sometimes live play-by-play pushes us off to the side, but we do these podcasts at least once a week, if not multiple times a week. Then we inhabit the 6 o'clock hour on Friday nights here on Score North. Let's begin with a guest who was phenomenal before week one of the NFL season. We had him on a few weeks ago, but hey, Chicago is a tough guy town. So let's welcome back to the podcast. It is former Vikings coach Mike Tice. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Always appreciate your time. Before we get to some specifics of Sunday, Vikings, Bears, tough guy town, Chicago, how about just big picture NFC North? I mean, Mike, would you would you agree at this point? Now, maybe you can make a case for, I don't know, maybe the NFC West, maybe some division in the AFC, but could you make a case that right now the NFC North is the best division in football? Well, I'll tell you, Doogie, I, uh, thanks for having me on. I was looking at that uh, this week and, and saying, okay, you got Buffalo and New England in the East and, you know, not much behind that. And uh, in the AFC West, you have, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs and then not much behind that. And uh, the NFC East, Dallas is looking really good. And then not much behind that. But then when you get to the north, <laughs> I'll tell you, you've got the Packers who play tonight. You've got Chicago and Minnesota who play this week. And uh, just those three teams alone, and Detroit is undefeated. And uh, But they have to play Kansas City this week. So I think it uh, bodes well for you and everyone out there to say this could be, if not the toughest, one of the uh, top two conferences in the uh, league this year. I mean, it, maybe it bodes well for, for us that, that follow the NFC North closely, but it can't bode well if, you know, you're Mike Zimmer, if you're, you know, you name the coach. I mean, it has to be so stressful when you know how important each of these games are. Well, you can't take any weeks off, and uh, it's not like you're going to have a gimme game, uh, and, and it's not like you're going to have one where, okay, phew, thank goodness we play so-and-so. I don't want to insult anybody. Sure. Well, Miami say something. Okay, you said it, I did. <laughs> I'm not insulting anybody. I made a living doing that. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's 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 going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, the matchups, the two matchups this week, um, you know, with uh, Detroit having to play Kansas City, but they're playing at home. And, uh, of course, the Vikes going on the road against the Bears in the tough guy town. Um, that's going to be one of the best games of the week. I think that Dallas-New Orleans game on Sunday night's going to be a good game, but maybe not as good as people think because I really like the Cowboys in that one. And, uh, you know, we'll see tonight. Uh, <laughs> I like Philly tonight, so we'll see what happens. And uh, I, I, uh, I think Philly, I think Philly uh, is 
getting back uh, Alshon Jeffries, and I think that's going to help them a lot. Absolutely. And, yeah, full disclosure, Mike, because this will air Friday night here on Score North here in the Twin Cities. So, you know, we end up pre-recording a lot of segments. So as people are listening to this right now, they will know if you are accurate or not. But I'm with you. I actually like Philadelphia against Green Bay as well. But you touched on Dallas. Would you say right now, Mike, that Dallas is the best team in the NFC? Yeah, I would have to say they are one of the top three teams in the NFC. But, again, this matchup Sunday night, I know they don't have Drew Brees, but, uh, you know, Peyton, Sean Peyton, Coach Peyton, uh, proved why he's one of the offensive geniuses in the league. My concern there with New Orleans is not throwing the ball down the field and a lot of short stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'd say Dallas is one of the top teams in the NFC, if the not the top team. And, and the thing that you have to remember is just because they're 3-0 doesn't mean they're the best team in the NFC. You're right. I mean, some of it is schedule luck, right? I mean, I think Dallas is good, but certainly it has helped them that they've played both the Giants and the Redskins. Yeah, do you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, And there's a lot of teams, even including New England, who I'm not putting down because right now they're the champ and you got to beat the champ, so they're the number one team at least in my power ratings. I don't really read anyone else's power ratings. But uh, I, I think you've you got to beat the champ. So New England's number one, and, and Dallas is in the top uh, tier right there. And they're, they're doing well in both not only on offense, but they're doing well on defense. They're not an elite defense, but they're doing well on defense. And uh, right now, if you look at the DVOA, one of those stat sites, they're the number two team uh by stats, but even Dallas, you know, they I think the teams they played are something like one and eight, and uh, you know they haven't won a lot. Of, only played a team that won one game. So let's see what happens when they play a good New Orleans team. Does Dallas have the best offensive line in the game? I would say yes, and I think they have for the last couple of years. They've had some injuries to some players, uh, and I know Zach Martin is playing with a bad back. Uh, and I love that kid. I had him at the Senior Bowl. Uh, so, yeah, they're one of, if not the best offensive lines in the league. And, you know, I tend to, when I'm looking at tape during the week, now that I'm trying to do this uh, podcast and stuff and send some tweets out, I tend to focus on the end zone film and look at the blocking of the tight ends and the fullbacks and the O-line. And right now Dallas is doing a wonderful job. I thought there's a, a couple other teams that had good offensive line performances last week, including... Carolina and you know Buffalo's O line is doing sol- a solid job, and uh, but uh, there are some lines out there that right now that are struggling mightily. Well, what about the Vikings? At least in terms of run blocking, I mean, heck, I mean, anytime you run for over 200 yards, like they did last week against one of your former teams, another one of your former teams, the Raiders, they must be doing something right. Well, the offensive scheme that has been introduced uh, to the team is uh, going to bode well for the type of offensive linemen that they have. They're, they're able to run the ball and hard play action and give Kirk uh, Cousins a chance to step away and get back deep away from the line of scrimmage, which gives uh, him time to look and watch and uh, see how these deep overs uh, develop and give him a chance to get the ball down the field as they did in the first drive of the game last week to Thielen. For a touchdown, uh, that's going to be good for the offensive line. Where I could see uh, the offensive line 
having a little bit of an issue as as the Vikings move forward is if they have to get into a pure drop-back game and start flinging it at a shotgun. I'm not sure that they're uh, that type of offensive line that could hold up for 30-plus throws doing it that way. Do you like what you've seen so far from rookie tight end Irv Smith Jr.? And, I mean, going back, I don't know, Mike, going back five-ish, seven-ish, eight-ish years, I mean, it's really hard to find a tight end as a rookie that has a big impact. I mean, you know the tight end position as well as anyone. There's just there's so much on a tight end's plate. But I guess so far, do you like what you've seen from the rookie from Alabama? Yeah, I, I really do. And I, I tweeted this week and had a couple big explosive gains uh, from him in the passing game. He had one called back, too, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, but that combination of the Kyle Rudolph, and I don't want to forget about Kyle Rudolph, that combination of Kyle Rudolph and, and Irv Smith Jr. Uh, is a, one of the best tight end combinations, I think, already in the league because you have two guys that are doing two things really well. I know that Kyle hasn't got his chances yet, but he will. They will come with this style of offense. Kyle will get his chances. Is that you have two tight ends that are big, athletic, and can block. Kyle's become a, a very solid blocker on the edge. And Irv Smith is very athletic, has great balance, uh, athleticism. And that's going to be a heck of a combination as the season progresses. And as that run, and they're coming up on a run, and then now your hard play action, and there's a tight end behind you. And you're in trouble because he's behind you. And they're going to be able to throw the ball behind those linebackers because they're having to stop that, that great run game of the Minnesota Vikings. We're talking with Mike Tice. I mean, maybe even this Sunday, as great as as great as that Bears defense is, I mean, might there be maybe an opportunity for Kyle Rudolph to show up in the passing game on Sunday? Yeah, I think uh, Kyle's going to get his chances. In fact, he's going to be my guest on this week's Odds and Ends with Mike Tice on my podcast. Oh, nice. On Friday, and Kyle's going to come on and chat with me. And uh, I'm a big fan of Kyle Rudolph. Uh, the first thing I want to ask him is, did he watch the Georgia-Notre Dame game on Saturday <laughs> night? Because that was one heck of a game. That was a good game. It was a great game. Notre uh, Dame easily covered. That surprised yeah. me. <laughs> they easily covered. Well, I, I just I do think he's going to get his chances. And, and what I'm seeing from the Vikings, uh, the receivers and uh, Kyle, uh, especially those uh, two I just named, the receivers and Kyle, is patience because you know, winning, when you win, there's enough for everybody. Everybody has a great time in the locker room. Everybody has a great week the next week. But when you're losing and you might get nine balls thrown to you and you might catch seven of them and you might go for 100 yards but you lose by three, I mean, it sucks. I mean, it's not any good. I mean, so what I'm seeing from body language, from the tape I've watched, and I've watched every game, is that the Viking players, unlike some of the other teams in the National Football League have players that right now, unless I'm missing something, that are unselfish and they're they're buying into the scheme and they're buying into the team concept of, hey, listen, it's a lot better to win and catch one ball than it is to lose and catch seven. And so I'm liking what I'm seeing from the receivers and, and blocking downfield unselfishly, and I'm liking what I'm seeing from what Kyle Rudolph is doing out in space blocking and at the point of attack. What about your Maryland guy, though, Mike? What about Stefan Diggs, who they're paying absurd money to, and he's only been targeted 
I mean, heck, it's less than five. I think two of the three games, he's been targeted five times or less. Stephon Diggs is not used to only getting three or four targets a game. So I do wonder, you know, yeah, maybe it's okay right now, although he declined to talk to us in the in the locker room earlier this week when he normally talks to us on Wednesdays, which was a bit of a red flag. But I do wonder over the next few weeks if Diggs doesn't get targets, how will he respond? Well, first off, and correct me if I'm wrong, Doogie, didn't he start the season stoved up? I mean, wasn't he uh, on the injury report to start the season? Didn't he have some kind of soft tissue injury? And so he wasn't completely 100% for that first game. And we've only played three games. Um, yeah, you, you always worry about the wide receivers uh, not uh, getting enough targets and, and uh, not getting enough catches and not getting enough yardage. But the one thing that I know, being around uh, a lot of these great receivers and, uh, and receivers that have also uh, spoken out against not getting enough balls, normally I see that when the team is losing. And uh, right now, you know, maybe he didn't do the interview and, and maybe he wants more balls, but what he wants is he wants to help the team win. And you can't... Uh, you can't fault a guy that's trying to help the team win and he doesn't feel like he's getting a chance to contribute. I don't know. I haven't talked to him. But I do know that right now I'm seeing good body language from everybody. I'm seeing him blocking downfield. Um, I'm seeing him finish. And so as the team progresses and the team wins, I really do feel in this style of offense that he's going to get his explosive plays down the field. And so is Kyle Rudolph. And that's just the way this offense is designed. How much do you admire Dalvin Cook? He is so good after absorbing contact. I mean, just look at the yards. I mean, after contact, Mike, I mean, he is, I mean, heck, he's right up there in every statistical category through three weeks, but certainly yards after contact. Yeah, I'm really impressed by this young man. Um, You know, I'm impressed by Addison, too. Uh, 211 yards last week and and 5.6 yards of carry, uh, no sacks. 31, excuse me, 23 first downs, I think. Uh, and the key is no turnovers. So, mm-hmm. uh, And they still had 174 yards or something like that passing. So uh, I like where the, the Vikings offense is, is at. Uh, just win games. There's enough there for everybody. Everybody's going to get their taste. And, uh, and just keep winning and uh, having fun winning because it's not fun uh, go ask the Jets how much fun they're having during the bye week this week. <laughs> Mike, tell me if I'm nuts. I mean, as we look at Sunday... You're nuts. Yeah, well, yeah, my wife agrees. <laughs> uh, and many other people would agree. But as you look at Sunday, it's not like it's a must-win, right? I mean, there's no such thing as a must-win game week four. But I do wonder, do the Vikings need to win on Sunday for us to take them very seriously? Well, I, I think the Vikings uh, have a really good chance of winning. And... Uh, you know, with Akeem, Nicks not, with Akeem Hicks not practicing inside and a couple of the other injuries that they have and uh, the lack of consistency by Trubisky at the quarterback position and how well the Vikings defense is playing right now, I think this is a tremendous matchup for the Minnesota Vikings this week. And uh, I'm going to pick uh, each Friday on my uh, YouTube show Odds and ends with Mike Tice Fast Friday. I'm going to pick an NFL game along with a couple of horses with the Hall of Famer Gary Stevens each week, or at least this week. 
until he quits on me because he was one for two. <laughs> he was one and two last week with the horses, but three and zero oh in his in his football pick. But uh, yeah, I I would if I was going to pick that game, I would definitely pick the Vikings. And uh, like you said earlier, with the points, but because we're allowed to say that uh, mm-hmm. the podcast, right? Absolutely. And, uh, and I'm retired, uh, but. Uh, I just think that the Vikings can go in there and and win this game outright, and you know screw the points, go in and win this game. And there's a lot of things that play into our hands right now, and that is uh, or to the Vikings' hands right now. And one of them is how well our defense is playing, and in my opinion, how unexplosive and how uh, not rhythmic the Bears' uh, offense looks right now. So there's one for us. I also think that our offensive line is going to match up well against them in the run game, and our play-action game is going to match up well against their defensive backfield. Uh, and, uh, and we play a bunch of zone, which is good, and I think it's going to be uh, a good day for the Vikings, as long as we don't turn that damn ball over. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, Cousins, just hold on to the ball. We saw him throw a pick six last year. In Chicago, heck, the Vikings turned over Chicago. Anthony Harris had a couple interceptions in that game last year in Chicago, but Cousins gave it right back. On Akeem Hicks, I mean, he hasn't missed a game. Mike, he hasn't missed a game in years. I don't know if it's 2014, 2015, but it's it's a handful of years. But I think he truly is the ultimate game-time decision Sunday afternoon. Doesn't practice Wednesday, doesn't practice Thursday. How good is Akeem Hicks? And if he can't play for the Bears, how big of a loss would that be? Well, I think it's a, a really big loss. I think he is part of, uh, yeah, I was with Khalil Mack for three years in, in uh, Oakland. Mm-hmm. He is a unique talent, a uh, very unique talent. And uh, I think what helps him is, you know, having uh, Akeem, Nicks, Akeem Hicks, I keep calling him Akeem Hicks inside, because now that's, where are they going to help? Are they going to slide to Akeem? Are they going to take the guard and go ahead out and help, you know, uh, on Khalil? Uh, it, it, he is a part of the puzzle that uh, makes it hard for offensive groups to block the Bears. And again, again, the Bears don't want to hunker down and play the run. They want to get after the passer. And so as long as the Vikings don't turn this into a drop-back game, this is going to be a tremendous matchup for the Vikings. I'll hit you with two more, Mike, then I'll let you go. Josh Klein, you can make a case, has been the Vikings' best interior offensive lineman so far, but he misses practice Wednesday, misses practice Thursday. Concussion, I mean, brain injury. I mean, I think people sometimes forget, Mike, that that a concussion is an injury to the brain. So we don't know if Josh Klein will play Sunday or not, but he's still in the concussion protocol You know, as we're taping this. If he doesn't play for the Vikings on Sunday, how much will they miss Josh Klein? Oh, absolutely. Uh, th- that's going to hurt. And, uh, you know, anytime you miss uh, a starter and a starter that's playing well, that's going to hurt. But uh, they'll, they'll have a good plan. Rick Dennison is an excellent coach, and he'll have an excellent plan for the Bears. And, and, uh, and the group will uh, rally uh, around uh, who, whoever's going to go in and, and play for Klein. And who finished the game last week? Uh, Dozier, Dakota Dozier. Yeah, Dakota Dozier. Uh, he's been around a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so 
I want to say, was it Montana? Where was he from? Well, he he started some games for the Jets in recent time. Yeah, where did he go to school? I don't remember where he went to school. You're putting me on the spot too much, oh, Mike. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. So, yeah, I don't have any notes in front of me. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so Josh will be a big one. But, you know, you can, you can uh, survive uh, having an interior player hurt and having to go with a backup much, much better than if you lost a tackle. And so, uh, especially against, uh, you know, Khalil. And so, I think they'll be just fine. Furman. Furman for Dakota Dozier. Furman. I knew it was a small school. Yeah, no, you were, you were right on the right path. Yeah, FCS. FCS All-American at Furman. All right, I'll leave you with this, Mike. You brought up Tough Guy Town once or twice. Like, how often does that come up? I mean, that, that soundbite... After what, 17, 18 years? I don't know, give or take, like 2002 when you called Chicago a tough guy town? That still has legs to this day, Mike. Well, it's, uh, it's one of those things that you know, forever rings in your ear, right? It's, uh, yes. Chicago's a tough guy town. It's just like New York is a tough guy town. We just weren't playing New York that particular week. And so we were playing the Bears. And, you know, it's a tough guy town, and you got to go in there and, and be tough, and you got to, you know, Take them on, and you can't go in there and play any finesse ball. You go in there and play finesse ball, then you know you get your ass handed to you. And uh, I don't think that's the style of play that uh, Coach Zimmer is going to play, that he wants to play, and it's not the style of play that the Vikings in 2019 have played. Mike, I love you. Thank you. Hey, Doug. Anytime, brother. Be good. Hopefully the hum in the background of Mike Tice's phone wasn't too distracting because I do think his information, for the most part, is gold. I love listening to Mike analyze football. Follow him on Twitter at Odds and Ends Pod. O-D-D-S-N-E-N-D-S Pod. Plus that has all the information about Mike's podcast. He will have Kyle Rudolph on later today. When we come back, we take a look at the Gophers. Big Ten opener tomorrow against Purdue. We'll catch up with former Gophers quarterback Connor Rhoda. We are back. It's segment number two of the Scoop Podcast right here on Score North. Score North on 1500 AM. Hopefully you also have the Score North app. Let's transition from the Vikings to the Gophers. Tomorrow afternoon, 2.30 on ESPN2. It's the Gophers Big Ten opener, also Purdue's Big Ten opener. Gophers at Boilermakers. Gophers in West Lafayette. For some Gophers analysis, let's catch up now with somebody who's been on the podcast a bunch. He still pays close attention to the Gophers. Heck, he played for P.J. Fleck a couple years ago. He started games at quarterback for P.J. Fleck, so he knows P.J. Fleck well. He knows Kirk Sharaka's offense well. He is close friends with Tanner Morgan, other guys on the team, so he's got great insight, insight that others do not have. Let's catch up now with former Gophers quarterback, Connor Rhoda. Connor, welcome back to the podcast. Always appreciate your time. I guess just overall, I mean, how do you analyze tomorrow, the Big Ten opener? Do you like the Gophers' chances to start 1-0 and in Big Ten play? Yeah, I like their chances. They're, uh, I think, you know, everybody, I don't think I'd say people are down on them right now, but it's definitely been an exciting, but what some I think would call an underwhelming start based off the expectations for the year, right? So, um, you know, I think this is a good test. It's going to be good to see them play a Big Ten opponent and just see, you know, how, they, how they've changed over the bye week and, um, you know, will really be a good springboard going into the rest of the year. So I think me and the rest of the state are very excited to see how they play. Let's piggyback off something you just said about 
you know, maybe the the uneventful start, but there's nothing to apologize for about starting three and zero. There is something to be said about mm-hmm. finding a way to win, right? And I get it. It's Georgia Southern. It's South Dakota State. I think Fresno State will end up winning and winning a lot of games in the Mountain West, but it's still a Mountain West team, so it's not a Big Ten team. It's not a Power Five team. But don't you think, Connor, there is something to be said about finding different ways to win these games? No doubt. I mean, that's something that shows that they're becoming a mature football team, I think. Um, they're still very young and have a ton of guys playing that haven't played much. You know, I mean, Tanner's still hasn't even made his 10th start. Um, I think this might actually be his 10th start coming up uh, Saturday. But showing that they have the ability to lock in and, um, you know, realize that still just a game and they got to go find a way to win it it doesn't matter if you're playing a high school team or playing um you know alabama or a top tier uh team in the country so finding a way to win when they're a not playing as good as me and i think most other people know that they can play but they're still finding a way to win and they're three no i think there's 23 undefeated teams left in the country and Mm -hmm. um you know, I think like you've heard PJ say a lot, they've played three really good football teams. Um, yes, they're lower levels, but at the college level, a good football player is a good football player, and those are three teams filled with good football players. And um, yet yeah, it seemed underwhelming because they don't have a truly convincing win, but they've, um, you know, they've found a way to win. And there's there's something to be said about winning football games and. Um, I know PJ says it a ton, but he'll never apologize. And, you know, the team should never apologize for winning a game. We're talking with former Gophers quarterback Connor Rhoda. What were you thinking two weeks ago, Connor? It's third and 30. I mean, everything was stacked (laughs) against the Gophers. They end up getting, what, like 21, 22 yards on third down. Tanner hits Demetrius Douglas, Omar Douglas's son. He was a great recruit out of the state of Oregon. A couple years ago, the Gophers beat out Oregon, in fact for Demetrius Douglas, but I mean, I guess when you look at their wide receivers, Johnson, Bateman, Autumn Bell, I mean, Douglas pretty much slots in as their number four receiver, but he shows up on that play. Then he shows up on the fourth down play. They end up moving the sticks, end up scoring the touchdown, end up winning the game. Yeah, I think um, that, that whole game, and as Georgia Southern came back and took the lead, I still felt, which I'm sure everybody else did, that you know, what's going to happen is just what happened in the first two games. They've got plenty of time. They're going to go down and find a way to score. Well, that left pretty quickly when third and 30, you know, showed up on that screen. But um, I was curious to see what Soraka kind of dialed up. And obviously at that point, you're just trying to get it into hopefully a manageable fourth down and just give yourself a chance. And, um, you know, I think you saw them do exactly that. I don't think either ball that Tanner threw was further than eight yards down the field, but um, they knew they had to give themselves a shot on fourth down. And then if you look at that fourth down play, it's a really impressive call, and it seems pretty basic. But I think Demetrius ends up catching the ball about two yards in front of the, um, you know, or two yards short of the first down. And watching a technique that they coach really hard and being able to catch the ball 
turn, get upfield immediately when there's somebody right on him was very impressive that he was able to turn and, you know, pick that up. And obviously they went down and scored and Tyler did what Tyler does and, you know, pulls that ball in to win the game. But um, I know I think a lot's been made of that third and 30 and rightfully so, but I think that just shows uh, the type of guys they have on offense and, um, you know, the ability that they never feel like they can't win a football game, no matter what situation they're in. On the quarterback, on Morgan, I saw some stats earlier today. In the entire country, I think he's number one. He's not one. He's like two, three, four. But, I mean, we're talking everybody in the country. When it comes to third down, that specific down, third down QB rating, what makes Tanner so special on third down? You know, I think it's, one, he's a very talented kid he's uh he's a little undersized but he's got a ton of talent but i think most importantly he he's just a gamer you know i i think a lot of the coaches have talked about him that way but he believes in himself and um you know believes in his teammates and that's really all that he cares about he could get all the praise in the world or be uh you know kind of crapped on by everybody outside that building but he's really just focused on what his job is and he knows he's got talent around him and He's just very good at staying within what he does well. And, um, you know, he's just competitive as he can be. And I think that just brings out the best of him. And uh, he's not, he's definitely not afraid to step up in those situations. I mean, you've seen that fourth and 15 at Fresno, the third, really that whole last jet drive against Georgia Southern. I mean, when push comes to shove and a play needed to be made, he's made it. And that's really impressive for a guy that's still. 20 years old and has made nine starts in his college career. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, including the bowl game. Yeah, I mean, I think this would be tomorrow. Yeah, that would be, right? Yeah, tomorrow, I think you're right. I mean, whether it's 10 or 11 or 9, but yeah, I mean, he hasn't made all that many starts. I still don't think he's the best slinger of the ball in that program. I think that's Zach Anikstad, but there is something to be said about, you know, maybe it's a cliche, but there probably is something to be said about, you know, that it factor. However you define it, Tanner, at least in clutch situations, has it. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, he still has a ton to prove, and he needs to get and play a lot better than he has, and he'll be the first one to tell everybody that. But, um, you know, there's something special about him, and I think people are realizing that. And when you look at, yeah, he's not the most talented thrower of a football, and I think Zach and probably even the Clark kid are more talented pure throwers of the football. But when you look at the offense and being someone that ran it for a year, being a really talented thrower isn't truly necessary in that offense. The kid that they had at Western Michigan, I remember blatantly being told by uh, Soraka when I was still playing, Zach Terrell, who you know was a three-year starter for them at Western, broke all their mm-hmm. records. Um, was a big-time player for them, couldn't throw a ball further than about 45 yards, which at a a big-time college program seems very strange, but um, it was the fact that it was, and he knew who needed to get the ball and was accurate with the football, and that's that's the most important part about playing quarterback in that system. And then if you've got the arm talent like some kids do, that's just an added plus. But, um, 
knowing where the ball needs to go and being accurate with it and getting it out on time are the most important parts of uh, being a QB in that offense. Connor, say that again about Zach Terrell, who's been on this podcast, really nice guy. I thought he might even get a crack a little bit longer than he did with some NFL team making a practice squad or what have you, but unfortunately it never worked out in that regard for Zach. But smart guy, nice guy, really enjoyed talking to him. Last year was either right before the bowl game or right after the bowl game. Really nice guy, but so when when he first got to Western Michigan, how far, say that again, how far he could throw the ball? From my understanding, he was not able to throw the ball further than about 45 yards his last year. Okay, 45. Okay, got it. Okay. Yeah. All right, so even with Corey Davis, I mean, you know, I guess you could throw it up to Corey, but really they didn't run many routes beyond, you know, where you really had to gun it way downfield, I guess, huh? No, and I think that's whether or not you can throw the ball 60 yards or 40 yards. When you're looking at quarterback play and offense in general and football, very, very rarely should a ball ever have to travel more than 40 yards in the air. Um, You've got some, you know, kind of wrinkles with some play action stuff where you may draw up a specific scheme to get a guy um, you know, a deep post or something where you're truly launching it out there. But even if you're just throwing a simple go ball, you know, I know the, the staff at the U right now teaches the QBs to throw the ball 42 yards, you know, two yards outside the hash um, on a go ball. And that's really the furthest throw that you need to make. And um, obviously Tanner's capable of making that. And I think if you go and look at what Zach – uh, Terrell's stats were at Western Michigan. He was 100% capable of making that throw, and that might have been him maxing it out, but, um, you know, he was uber successful for them. On Sharaka, on the Gophers play caller, Kirk Sharaka, how much more of his offense is there to unearth? I mean, I guess through these first three games, as we now flip the script, non conference to <clears> conference, <throat> I mean, how much. How much has he saved? How much is in Kirk Sharaka's back pocket that we'll start to see tomorrow? Well, what I would say to that is that he, I don't think the offense is truly ever fully um, out there. You know, he's so creative and that whole offensive staff is so creative that come the last week of the season, whether that be the Big Ten Championship or their bowl game, whatever it may be, there's always going to be wrinkles to what they do and they're going to come up with new uh, schemes of ways to get the ball downfield and get other guys involved. But I think you'll see um, some more stuff come out in Big Ten. But, I mean, really, the the offense, I don't want to call it basic because it's far from that. But they he knows what they're good at and he knows what the bread and butter is. And then they just find, you know, some of the wrinkles off of that. And I think in the Big Ten now, you'll start to see some of those wrinkles and you'll see, you know, some more downfield stuff and some double moves and, you know, those sorts of things. But they're going to be who they're going to be and they're going to run the ball and, um, you know, use play action off of that and use the RPO game to, you know, spread the ball around. I am curious to see whether Purdue's quarterback is able to go. Sindelar, he missed the loss to TCU a couple weeks ago. Connor liked the Gophers, Purdue had a bye week last week as well. So interesting that both teams were able to do some self-analyzing, self-scouting, set up this Big Ten opener tomorrow. But let me finish with this. So the Gophers will get back Shannon Brooks, one of your former teammates, and another former teammate, 
Kamal Martin. Martin, he missed that first game, suspension carrying over from last year for being a moron, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it. But then legitimate injury had him out of the Georgia Southern game, a foot injury, but Kamal Martin is back tomorrow. Brooks will make a season debut. How much are those two difference makers? Kamal Martin back on defense, the kid from Burnsville, and Shannon Brooks back at running back. They're huge. I mean, Kamal's been a big-time player since he was a true freshman uh, back in 2016. And, you know, I mean, he's a guy that's got a legitimate shot to to play in the league somewhere. And, um, you know, having the camaraderie that he has with Thomas Barber and some of those other guys on defense that um, whenever you get those guys that have played together for a long time, it's going to be really helpful to get him back on the field and uh, you know, get that defense at full strength. And then Shannon, I'm not really sure why he's still allowed in that stadium by Purdue University because he's <laughs> ran for about 400 yards, I think, yeah. in two games. Good there. reminder, but yeah. He, uh, I mean, he's just a special player. And what I'm interested to see is you've got him, Rodney, and Muhammad all finally healthy on the same field in the same game. So, I have no idea. I remember asking Soraka back in spring ball how he was going to do it, and he had no idea. So um, you've got three just, you know, of the top running backs in the Big Ten, um, you know, on the same team. And it's it's going to be really fun to see how they utilize that and get those guys the ball in different ways. Connor, thank you so much. Always appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Doogie. Good stuff from former Creighton Darum Hall quarterback, former Gophers quarterback. He played for P.J. Fleck in his first year, started games at quarterback. He knows Kirk Scirocco's offense very well. We love having him on the podcast. That was Connor Rhoda. And, yes, it is interesting. Does Elijah Sindelar get cleared from the concussion protocol as of the taping of this podcast? It looks like Purdue's starting quarterback will miss another game. Missed their loss a couple weeks ago to TCU, but do things change? Maybe when he wakes up tomorrow, or maybe things are changing right now that we're just not aware of? As of now, the Gophers are a point-and-a-half favorites. Late money coming in. That line has fluctuated a bit, but late money certainly in on the Gophers. And if Sindelar is out, that would presumably benefit the Gophers. 2.30 kickoff tomorrow in West Lafayette. We'll get to Wild Assistant General Manager Tom Curvers in just a bit. Let me get a couple notes out of the way, and I want to tell you about Hope Fieldhouse. Actually, you know what? I'll start there. Let me tell you about Hope Fieldhouse. They are all about helping athletes with disabilities and thanks to the support of score north listeners we are this close to building a place for our athletes with disabilities to play hope field house is at the finish line but needs our help to get over hope field house will only happen with the support of people who want to make a difference can you please donate just a few bucks ten dollars twenty dollars all about helping athletes with disabilities the dakota hawks they've won multiple state championships adapted hockey they do not have a permanent place to call their home Hope Fieldhouse would be their permanent home. That is just one example. Get online right now or once you're off the road and go to hopefieldhouse.org to make a tax-exempt donation to assure that everyone has a place to play. Your donation, I'm hoping you can donate $20. Your $20 donation will mean a ton for this wonderful project. Hopefieldhouse.org. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for allowing athletes with disabilities to have everything that every other athlete has. We talked about Vikings offensive lineman Josh Klein in the first segment with former Vikings coach Mike Tice. Josh Klein is officially out. He has not gotten out of the concussion protocol, so just have to wait and see. Let's not forget, though, concussions are brain injuries, injuries to the brain. So Josh Klein out for Sunday in Chicago. A bunch of the Bears outside of Taylor Gabriel, who is also dealing with concussion. The wide receiver who had a good game on Monday, 
He is out for the Bears. Otherwise, Kyle Long, Akeem Hicks, some key players for the Bears will be true game-time decisions on Sunday afternoon. But Akeem Hicks, that stud defensive tackle, he has not missed a game in over four years. But he dinged up his knee in that victory by the Bears over the Redskins on Monday. The Vikings would catch in an enormous break if Akeem Hicks somehow cannot go on Sunday. It's a big weekend for Gophers men's basketball. Dawson Garcia of Prior Lake is on his official visit. It is underway as we speak. As I've said on this podcast, going back months, his interest in the Gophers is sincere. It's legit. It's genuine. He's got blue blood offers, though. He is one of the best players in the country in the class of 2020. Get to know Dawson Garcia if you haven't already from Prior Lake high school but i'm telling you the gophers have a chance to keep him at home martise mitchell is a big man from the chicago area he is also in an official visit so richard patino and the gophers hosting two recruits this weekend on official visits the gophers still working on getting their first verbal commitment for their recruiting class of 2020 also dj gordon who had to postpone his official visit he's a three-star forward out of the pittsburgh area penn state wants him some other schools want him he was supposed to visit the gophers earlier this month he had a death in the family he has rescheduled scheduled his official visit with the Gophers for the second weekend in October. Due to time constraints, I think I will devote an entire podcast early next week to Twins Yankees. Twins Yankees. I'm working on Jim Tomey. I caught up with Tom Kelly the other day. I texted with Paul Molitor, so I'm hoping to convince Molly to come on the podcast because there's all sorts of stuff to dissect with the Twins and how they construct their 25-man divisional series roster. Who pitches game one? Is it Barrios who is going tonight pitching on six days rest? Then next time it would be six days rest. I mean, all sorts of things to figure out for the Twins. Do they pitch Odorizzi at target field because he's the ultimate fly ball pitcher? So save him for game three? Or would they use him in game two? Or is Odorizzi, who's been their best starter going back about six weeks, in line to pitch game one? So, so much to dissect when it comes to the Twins and what is expected to be the New York Yankees, that divisional series that will start one week from today, likely at night. I imagine the Yankees get primetime game, so I would imagine game one would be one week from tonight in the Bronx. Twins and Yankees, best of five. Although, if the Astros somehow lose out this weekend, the Yankees win out, things could change, but all signs point to the Twins opening up against the Yankees. All right, Tom Curvers of the Wild is next. It's the latter portion of the Scoop podcast right here on Score North and the Score North mobile app, 1500 a.m. on your conventional radio dial. We continue here on Friday night, the 27th of September. This is episode 257. The Wild have one more preseason game to go. Then next Thursday in Nashville, the Wild open up their season. Let's get the lowdown on the Wild from Assistant General Manager Tom Curvers. Tom, it's great to catch up. Let's start with, hey, let's just start with the news of the day. Stafford released. Then what were the other moves? It was Sturm and Mayhew sent to Iowa. I guess Take us through the, the decision-making process of those three roster moves today. Well, Drew Stafford's uh, had a terrific NHL career, and, uh, you know, we, we had genuine interest there, and it, it just it, it didn't work out that he was significantly better than our players who are under contract. And, uh, you know, those guys, when they're on a tryout, they have to roll sevens uh, in the dice game and, and – uh, there's no shame in in his attempt, and he was a pro, and he's a good man, and he's had a great career. So we wish him well. Uh, as far as Sherman Mayhew, uh, those are young players that we expect will wear our uniform at some point this year for one reason or another, whether they play their way to the NHL or there are injuries or there is uh, any kind of performance issues among players that they compete with. And uh, we're optimistic that both those players 
uh, will be able to help us this year as well. They've had good training camps. They both work real hard, and they're part of our future. I mean, that's a good point, Tom. I mean, I think a lot of us, and I'm guilty, obsess over the opening night roster, but the roster is ever-changing, right? I mean, it's constantly fluid. So, I mean, whether it's Sturm, whether it's Mayhew, whether it's some of the other guys that are in Iowa right now, I mean, there's a good chance that a lot of guys will be up at some point. Well, we you know, we sound like we're patting ourselves on the back, but we think we have a little more depth this year than a year ago between uh, our roster, uh, bottom of our NHL roster and top of our Iowa roster. And we have a couple young prospects that are first-year pros that'll be with us in Iowa, so we feel like we're in a little better place for uh, for depth. And, you know, there's just so many injuries in the game. Um, yeah, the opening night roster, it's great to make the team. But I've seen guys over the years, you know, work so hard in training camp, make such a good impression that they used up too much fuel. And what you don't know, if you haven't been in the NHL yet, is that once the regular season starts, that's a new level again. It, it takes more once the regular season starts and it's for real and then again in the playoffs it goes up another giant step to a new level of play so you know the players have to play it to learn it and understand it and adjust to it and right now things just didn't quite lay out for those two players Thurman Mayhew but they're just getting started on their careers with, with our team. One preseason game to go, then you guys open Thursday in Nashville. I mean, of the guys that will open in Nashville, do you feel pretty good coming out of the preseason here? Do you feel good about things? I think there's an attitude that has changed a little bit. A part of that is collective failure from last year and uh, a sort of a togetherness that we got to fix this. We we messed this up. That's, that's uh, the entire organization, not any one player or, or one person in the organization but collectively it, it didn't work out and we have a lot of good people that we're used to making playoff appearances the playoffs haven't gone as well as everyone hopes around here but the team was in the playoffs for a number of years so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of a uh, energy focus that we're going to fix this thing so uh some significant changes in the off season uh at the management level and you know a new voice leading the charge and, so, and people are at attention. I think there's a real good attitude and a real good vibe going on with our team. And we've played rather well the last couple of exhibition games, so that gives you a little extra boost of confidence collectively. Is there also, I mean, a collective kind of chip on a shoulder? I mean, sort of an FU attitude? I mean, there's a lot of people not expecting you guys to do much. Is that motivating the group in some way? Absolutely. Absolutely. The things that we can't say on a radio broadcast uh, are said all the time. And <laughs> F, you know the fu thing and f them and and why not us? So there's a there's a good thing going, and now we got to play up to that. We got we got to make sure our performance shows that that's for real. Fiala makes his preseason debut last night. I guess what stood out about Fiala's uh, preseason debut, and is he ready to rock and roll come in six days? Well, I, first game, and it's pretty tough just to jump into up to NHL speed, no matter where you've been skating. We know he's been skating. We know he's been training. He looks good. His attitude's good, and uh, we'll just kind of let him get there. And it's not really on his own time now because he missed a portion of training camp. But we need him to get there for opening night, and uh, we think he'll be better again on Sunday when we play Winnipeg in our final exhibition. And then Cunning, Cunning is now he's at center. Is he locked in, Tom? 
We're talking with Tom Curvers of the Wild. Is is Cunning locked in at center? Donato is at one of the wings. Well, you kind of mentioned it earlier. The roster's fluid. No one's locked in for anything uh, beyond their next shift. And and uh, but Cunning's a, a key component for our team. I felt last year between he and Erickson Eck, there was a there was a uh, a different pressure that our team put on opponents when those two players uh, were, I don't know if they're cut loose is the right word, but when they got real regular ice time in the last quarter of the season, they did a real nice job for us. So whether Cunnins at center or right wing, I don't think he cares. He just wants to play. I think he's capable of both. And uh, we'll just see where the dust settles on which spot is best for Luke. One thing that I hope is at least somewhat permanent, semi-permanent, would be Zuccarello playing with Parisi. I like the idea of Zuccarello's playmaking setting up Parisi. What about you? Yeah, Zuccarello's a, he's a, an effective player, and he's a competitive guy, and he's a little more uh, physically capable of holding his ground than you might think. He's not just a finesse player. He's got slick hands. He's got you know a good a good mind on on of the game and, and can anticipate plays well and he can create plays out of nothing. Um, those are all his attributes. And then Zach is so ferocious, you know, in tight that, uh, you know, if, if it lays out right and we were, we were trying to uh, pencil it in, you'd want Zook handling that puck and creating some attention for himself and then getting it in Zach's area where Zach can finish things. So, I like the mix just like you do. I get all the medical advancements, but is it still amazing that Miko Koivu is pretty much ready to go, what, about seven-ish months removed from from ACL surgery? You know, he's been here so long that you you forget about the attributes that that work for him to make him a real good player. And he's a big, strong guy, and he's a super competitive guy. And he, he just shows up and gives you everything he has night after night. And that's really all he's done. He's just overcome another obstacle, and he just—he doesn't look that much different, you know. He's—he's a—he's had a heck of a career, and we expect more from him this year. Does your goalie look any different? I mean, I know some of the analytics screamed that maybe Devin didn't have the best of years last year. Uh, I'm not gonna dig. I'm not gonna dig into the analytics on on the goal thing. There's been some stuff written. You know, all that analytic stuff gets real debatable anyway. Sure. Um, and that's not really my department. We have very competent and capable uh, analytics department led by Matt Sells right now. And uh, so, yeah, there's there's plenty of people out there uh, writing stuff and, and sending out analytics-based articles. And sometimes I kind of wonder how they drum up their point of view, you know, going back to, the college and grad school statistics are what you want to make of them and uh, sometimes that stuff gets in the way of can this guy win for us and Dubnik's won for this team for a number of years and we need his best to be a winning team is there one player like if we had to pick a breakout player I mean maybe it's Erickson Eck maybe it's Greenway maybe it's somebody else is there somebody that maybe some of us should circle and say okay this guy is primed after a really good preseason and a good training camp to have sort of a breakout type year I'll put it this way. Erickson Eck is going to be a good player for us. It may not show up in year-end stats. It may not show up uh, in points. In a, in a, but he's an effective player. He's a big guy. He can shoot the puck. He skates. Uh, he's in great shape. 
and he plays a, a, a physical game without being an outright uh, predator out there. He plays the game, but when there's contact, he initiates contact, and he knocks people away from the puck. And he, he does a good job in all parts of the rink, and I just kind of look at him as a guy, you know, you want to try to guess on numbers, that's fine, but he's going to be a strong player for us. That's fantastic to hear. Tom, also something that I think will be fantastic to hear. I mean, heck, we can we can debate your team all we want, but really in the grand scheme of life, it's just it's a bunch of minutia, right? I mean, your hockey team is a great distraction. We all like paying attention. But, I mean, in the game of life, you were diagnosed, what, less than a year ago with, with stage 3 lung cancer. I guess, how how are you doing, Tom? Well, thanks for bringing that up, Dizzy. I'm, I'm doing really well. I got terrific uh, results on a PET scan in mid-August, and then more more reinforcement of that good news when I met with our team doctor, Sheldon Burns, at our, at our physicals uh, before the season started. And uh, I'm feeling really strong, feeling really good. The results have been good. Uh, my body has, has managed the, uh, the chemo uh, protocol that I'm on, and the, and the medicine is working to both reduce the tumor and improve the condition of, of the cancer, and to the point where uh, it it didn't really show up on the last PET scan, so it's been uh, it's been a real a real life changer in the last nine months, and we're on a real good streak right now. I feel great. Thank you. That is fantastic news, Tom. Thank you so much. I know that a lot of people are rooting for you, so thank you. God bless and safe travels this weekend. Thanks, my friend. Wild Assistant General Manager Tom Curvers. We are done. That does it for Scoop Podcast Episode Two Hundred and Fifty Seven. Anticipation is building. The holidays are just around the corner, and at the Home Depot, we can't wait. With Black Friday savings all through November, you can count down to Christmas early with a Santa Countdown Inflatable Special Buy, only $69.98. Or anticipate when friends and family come to visit with an entrance full of LED lights that will welcome them and the holidays with open arms. Get the holiday magic started early. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.